Hi, everyone. This is Frank Fear, and you're listening to Joey P. and Frank, NFL Week 8 edition. Well, you know the phrase, down but not out, and that's a good way of describing Week 7 picking. Joey's four-week streak of 80% accuracy dipped below 50% last week. He was stymied by unexpected wins by the Titans, Bengals, and surprising to some, Joe picked the Eagles to down the Raiders, which they didn't. He pegged right the Packers over Washington and for New Orleans to extend the Seahawks' misery. But it's a new week, World Series week, and Joe is back up to the plate. He'll make calls on these five games. Here's my grandson, Eli Fear, to give you the five games that Joe will review this week. Pittsburgh, Cleveland. Tennessee, Indianapolis. Buffalo, Miami, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, and Dallas, Minnesota. But first, listen to Joe's take on the Bengals' big win over the Ravens. Let me now introduce Joe Platania for not only his picks, but as Eli said, to talk a bit about that surprising to many Cincinnati win over the Baltimore Ravens. Joe, the floor is yours. As always, thank you very much, Frank. As we head into the end of the uh, the first dozen episodes of this thing, what we hope will be a long-lasting legendary podcast. <laughs> it remains to be seen about that. Uh, it's episode number 12 as we head into week number eight of the NFL season. Uh, used to be called midseason, but with 17 games, you're going to have to slice one of these games in half. But uh, anyway, it's all about semantics. And as we head towards the midpoint of the season, uh, my hometown Ravens, they've been kind of lucky these last few years having their bye right around the same time every year, week seven, week eight, week nine, and they're on by this week, uh, five and two, uh, tied atop the AFC, atop the AFC North as well with the Cincinnati Bengals. But uh, I think as everyone knows, Cincinnati has the tiebreaker by virtue of walking into Baltimore, stopping a five-game losing streak to the Ravens with a 41-17 win, 28 unanswered points in the second half once Baltimore took the lead. Uh, A very different Bengal team that has come into Baltimore in recent years, Joe Burrow, in his first year with the Bengals last year, he came into Baltimore in a place where only two rookie quarterbacks have ever won in the history of the Ravens, uh, Jake Plummer in 97 and Mitch Trubisky in 2017. Burrow fared no better, getting sacked seven times and losing 27-3, to and the Bengals kicked a field goal towards the end to avoid a shutout. That really rankled the Ravens, but uh, I think Cincinnati was ticked off that Baltimore was because they came in used their speed, their youth, Jamar Chase, 201 receiving yards, half of them after the catch. It must be noted that half of uh, Jamar Chase's yards and half of Cincinnati's receiving yards came after the catch. The Ravens have had a major, major problem with tackling this year, something they're really going to have to clean up over the bye week. Uh, It uh, it would have definitely changed the game had some of these tackles been made and uh, the tight end Uzoma and Chase not just waltzed into the end zone pretty much untouched. Uh, The Ravens uh, took a gamble playing a lot of uh, man coverage against Joe Burrow, and he has been eating that up all year. I'm surprised the Ravens didn't pay attention to their film study on that. I think more disguises, more zone coverages could have helped against Burrow, but uh, they chose not to go that route, and uh, they paid for it as a result against an improved Bengal team. 
uh, as much as I've seen the AFC North, and I think it's a good division, it's been my opinion the last few years that the NFC West is better. But when I look at how Seattle and San Francisco have fallen off, I'm now prepared to join everybody else in saying that the AFC North is the best division in football. And as we get into our uh, four plus one, we're going to go right into uh, a, a game that uh, could go a long way toward determining uh, at least wild card spots in the AFC North. That's right. You know, Joe, I, I, uh, I don't live in Baltimore, but I follow the Ravens. Uh, and uh, as I was watching that game the other night, the other day, rather, Sunday afternoon, I, I, it was like a surreal experience because I fully expected what the Bengals did to the Ravens that the Ravens would do to the Bengals. And it, uh, it was difficult to watch. And I'm certain, certain for the home fans, it was even more difficult to watch. And I concur with you. I think, uh, you know, with the resurgence uh, of, the, uh, of the Bengals and the Browns hanging in there, with Pittsburgh, you know, still in there too, uh, it is the toughest division in the NFL. In fact, that's a good way of leading into the first game you're going to review this week, and that's Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Yeah, it's one of the better arch rivalries around the NFL. I mean, a lot of people may not agree with me on that because Cleveland had been so down for so long and Pittsburgh would beat them like a drum on a regular basis. But uh, it goes all the way back to the, the mid-40s uh, and, and then a, a, a on through the 50s and 60s when Art Modell and the Rooney family would do things in lockstep. They're very good friends. Their fan bases are not. Their players are not. These two teams have been going at each other's throats for a very long time. The people in Baltimore, I know, disagree with me. They think it's the Ravens and Steelers that are arch rivals. They are division rivals, and it's a pretty fierce, uh, pretty fierce uh, contretemps every time they go together. But uh, it's the Browns and the Steelers. They're, they're, they call it the Turnpike Bowl. They're, it's a very short drive from one stadium to the other. And this is a, a Rust Belt rivalry that goes just deep into the soul of those people. And now they're playing each other uh, in the – in the, I believe uh, in Cleveland this time around, uh, the Browns are coming off a mini buy. The Steelers are coming off a full buy, and the Steelers they got their running game going, and they want to save their season. And the only way I think they can do that in this division is to go get a wild card berth, which means they don't have to climb all the way to first place, but it's going to be pretty tough enough to get to second or maybe third, which might be good enough to uh, get a wild card berth. But this is going to be a knockdown dragout fight. I don't see a lot of points being scored. Pittsburgh is one of ride Najee Harris and keep the ball on the ground, not expend Ben Roethlisberger's energy too much and wear out that Cleveland defense. Uh, Cleveland offensively, they had to struggle to get by Denver. Of course, Baker Mayfield still nursing that shoulder injury. He says he's going to play. Well, well, that's just youthful bravado as far as I'm concerned. I'll believe it when I see it. They did get one of their tackles back to left tackle, Jedrick Willis. We'll have to see if uh, the running backs, uh, Chubb and Hunt, are going to be ready to go, uh, see if their receivers are going to be healthy. Uh, it's it's going to be a very, very tough physical game. I just think Pittsburgh is the more desperate team here, which is why I have been winning by a touchdown. But Case Keenum has proven to be a very good substitute, a very good backup over the years. Uh, he's, he's given the Ravens a few pains in the neck over the years. He's going to play well. I just think Pittsburgh needs it more, and they're going to play with a bit more desperation and beat their longtime arch rival. Yeah, big game for them. And Mayfield said he's going to play. That remains to be seen. And talking about the Turnpike Bowl, we had the Monsoon Bowl out in out in San Francisco with all that rain. It was unbelievable. And uh, that leads me into uh, our next game. Give us your take, uh, Joey, on Tennessee-Indianapolis. 
Yeah, Tennessee, Indianapolis. It's already their second meeting of the year, which is kind of a shame because these are the only two viable options in the AFC South. Uh, Tennessee going for the sweep here, Indy uh, angling for a split here. So glad to see. I mean, Tennessee, it's kind of vexing. I mean, they've won five of their last six, but the loss was to the New York Jets. And yes, they did beat Buffalo and Kansas City back to back. But first of all, both those games were at home. And secondly, Kansas City doesn't appear to be what they've used to be. So sure, you, Tennessee deserves a lot of credit, but there's a few holes you can poke in every team when you talk about parity and things evening out and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Indy coming off uh, a pretty important win out at San Francisco. Indy, what keeps them in games is what keeps any football team in games. The Colts have taken – they've forced 16 takeaways this year, tied with Buffalo for the most in the league, and the Colts lead the NFL in fumble recoveries. So I'm not so sure they're going to be able to knock the ball out of Derrick Henry's hands. That would be very, very tough to do. But uh, tackling well, which, like I said, the Ravens and a lot of other teams do not do well. The Colts are going to have to tackle well, and they're going to have to try to force turnovers. And I knew, I know they're at home, but I just think Tennessee's been the better team. They're the more consistent team. After all, they are still 5-2, and two, along with Baltimore and Cincinnati. Indy's at 3-4. and four. I think Indy's on the verge of turning it around. But to have this game come up on the schedule right now, I think, I think it's tough luck for the Colts. Uh, Derrick Henry just keeps piling up the milestones. He needs 131 yards on Sunday, which he can get to get 1,000 yards and become the 11th player in league history to get to that milestone in eight games or fewer, the first since DeMarco Murray did it for Dallas seven years ago. So you know they're going to rely on Derrick Henry, keep Carson Wentz off the field. Wentz has been playing very, very well. One interception in 219 attempts. That uh, 0.5 interception percentage, lowest in the league among qualified passers. So, again, another division game between two teams who won it badly, who need it badly. Uh, I'd say Indianapolis is in the same seat that Pittsburgh is in. They're more desperate. They need it. I just think Pittsburgh is good enough to win its game. But Indianapolis, even though they're at home, I don't think they're going to be quite, quite have enough to beat Tennessee. So that's why I like the Titans there. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a very interesting game to watch. You mentioned uh, Buffalo as you were going through uh, that analysis. And the next game is a game that some people might say, well, why bother? Uh, Buffalo and Miami. Uh, you know, you have some good thoughts about this game as always. Uh, and it's uh, probably not, probably a mistake to basically fold and say, hey, this is the Bills. They're going to be mad after that loss to the Titans on the last literally or virtually almost the last play of the game. But uh, your thoughts about Buffalo and the Dolphins? Well, you know, having watched football since the late 60s, I mean, these division rivalries are, are, are just really compelling. And this is one that I don't think it's quite enough attention because, uh, Frank, you can speak to this. I mean, the folks in Buffalo, sure, they take great pleasure in beating the New England Patriots and the New York Jets. But I think they take even more pleasure in beating Miami. I don't know whether it's the, the climate angle, the weather angle. They, they maybe resent those sunshine boys from down south. This game will be in Orchard Park. So, uh, I mean, it's not going to be blizzard conditions. I mean, we're still in the, it's still going to be the end of October, Halloween <laughs> for this group of Sunday games. But it just seems to me that Buffalo fans take great pleasure in the beating the Miami Dolphins when they go up there. And, and I, I think they're really salivating when you consider how far Miami seems to have regressed and uh, Buffalo's relative position on top of the uh, AFC Eastern Division. Uh, Buffalo coming off a bye week, and Sean McDermott, part of the reason why the culture's changed up there, he's 4-0 and after a bye. 
uh, among coaches that have coached at least three times after a bye, McDermott has the best win percentage out of anybody. Uh, Frank Reich and Mike Vrabel are 3-0, and but McDermott is 4-0. and He's going to go for 5-0, and and jo- he's going to watch his quarterback, Josh Allen, try to become the first player in the history of the league to reach 80 touchdown passes and 25 rushing scores in his first 50 games. He's got 82 and 27 right now, so he needs he'll need two touchdown passes Sunday. I definitely think he can get that. Uh, this this is a game that uh, I think many did anticipate would be a better game when the schedule came out, but uh, Miami things just have not gone well for them. Even though Tua Tagovailoa has played rather well, and had to miss some time with an injury, but uh, he's back. He's playing well. The breaks just haven't gone their way, but he'll have Jalen Waddle to throw to the number six pick in the draft. One of one of the Guys from that Alabama stable, uh, seven catches last week. He's got 44 this season, and he has surpassed uh, Anquan Bolden and Michael Thomas for the second most catches by a wide receiver in his first seven career games in NFL history. Only Eddie Royal had more with 46. So Miami's going to bring a few things to the table, but Buffalo just has more, and they're going to be highly, highly motivated just to see the sight of those Dolphin helmets in Orchard Park. That's going to be enough to do it. That's why I have Buffalo winning by about two touchdowns. Yeah, I think you have a good take on that. Very important game for each team, but for obviously different reasons. Now, let's move on to another intriguing game, Tampa Bay, New Orleans. Tampa Bay, uh, you know, they just keep on chugging along. And New Orleans stuck with it on uh, Monday Night Football and finally down the Seattle Seahawks, which are, that team is really missing Russell Wilson, that goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, but your uh, thoughts about Tampa Bay, New Orleans, maybe one of the most intriguing games of the weekend. Well, once again, another interdivisional game. I wanted to focus on games like that uh, this time around. Uh, it's, it's really, really incredible to, to, to think that uh, New Orleans had won five in a row against these guys before the playoff game last year. And uh, the Saints are, uh, it's not really a pass oriented team anymore with Jameis Winston as opposed to Drew Brees, even though Jameis Winston, you know, is a fine quarterback. But when you have Alvin Kamara with 179 scrimmage yards last week, and they just got back Mark Ingram uh, from the Houston Texans via the Baltimore Ravens. So they got both of those guys back uh, in their stable. And Alvin Kamara, he can become the third running back to reach 3,000 receiving yards in his first five seasons. Only two other guys have ever done that, Roger Craig and the great Lenny Moore, who we know very well here in Baltimore. Still hangs around the Ravens complex every once in a while. Always good to see him. But uh, this could be be a shootout. I don't think on on the level if if Drew Brees were still there. But uh, these are two teams that know each other well. NFC South battle, uh, defending champs against a team in New Orleans that have been knocking on the Super Bowl door but always getting – always getting railroaded by something, a, a non-call on a pass interference play and the Minnesota miracle. But uh, th- there's a new ingredient to this rivalry, and his name is Tom Brady. Uh, he's already got 21 touchdown passes this season, third player with at least 200 completions and 20 touchdown passes in the first seven games of a year. Only Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning have ever done that, and you know Brady's name belongs with those two. But uh, – Tampa Bay is going to be on its bye after this game. And considering the fact that they've won a couple Super Bowls in their history, they've never been 6-1 and one before like they are now. So you can say that they're reaching even higher heights, even though their secondary still under a bit of a, a question mark. Maybe Jameis Winston and his running backs can take control of that. But uh, 
I still think Tampa Bay still has that championship feel to it. And uh, New Orleans, yes, they did win that game in Seattle, but they had to struggle to do it. So I'll take Tampa Bay, even though they're on the road. Uh, talk about another intriguing game um, for different reasons. Uh, is Dallas against the Minnesota Vikings? You know, it's interesting because these are two teams that the fans love and sometimes the fans of the teams love, but then sometimes the fans uh, who aren't of the team uh, think very differently about each of these teams. Uh, Dallas uh, is having one of its better seasons in recent years. Minnesota has been struggling, can drive you crazy because just when you think they're going to win, they lose and vice versa. Uh, so, and I know they drive you crazy in particular because yep. of that. Let's, uh, let's have you uh, focus the uh, spotlight on Dallas, Minnesota. Well, like I mentioned in the uh, picks column this week, I mean, when NBC took over the Sunday night package in 2006, the same year that Monday night football switched from uh, ES ABC to ESPN, the league would like the public to focus on Sunday nights instead of Mondays as the night to watch to watch football. Although, you know, old habits die hard. Monday night football has been around for 50 years now, and people still ask about, oh, are we getting a Monday night game at home? Are we going to be on Monday nights? So it's always Monday, Monday, Monday with the fans, but the, the league would like that focus to shift, although people are going to do what they want to do. But it's, it's noticeable that Sunday nights have had the better matchups in recent years over Mondays, and this is yet another example. Both the Cowboys and the Vikings coming off their bye weeks. And as a matter of fact, Minnesota is going to have to play two straight opponents coming off their bye, Dallas this week and Baltimore the following week. So that's going to be a, a tough go for them, as inconsistent as they've been. And you wonder why the Vikings are so inconsistent. They've got Kirk Cousins, who is, is deadly accurate, and he's been a very prolific quarterback. Some of his off-the-field opinions might not mesh with yours, but that's another story for another day. But when you consider a tight end like Rudolph, you've got receivers like Thielen and, uh, and, and, and a running back like Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson – I mean, if the Ravens thought they had trouble with an LSU product in Jamar Chase, what are they going to do with another Tiger in Justin Jefferson? I mean, that's going to be uh, quite the uh, quite the assignment for them. Uh, like I said, Dallas coming off the bye. Mike McCarthy uh, with Green Bay and Dallas. He's 10-4 and four coming off a bye. So he's, he's had two weeks to get ready for this one, and uh, hopefully he'll have his team prepared. He'll have Dak Prescott prepared. He's had 39 career games with a 100-passer rating or higher the third most by a player in his first 75 starts. Only Aaron Rodgers and Tony Romo have more than him. They've got Trayvon Diggs on a much improved defense, seven interceptions. Only uh, he and Rod Woodson, a Hall of Famer who played a little bit in Baltimore, have had seven interceptions at this point in the season. But uh, I'll tell you what, if, if the Vikings can just put together a, a cohesive, consistent offensive and defensive philosophy they they could be ahead of green bay in the nfc north but obviously they're not at this point uh cousins is has already joined peyton manning and dan marino as the only players to reach thirty thousand yards and 200 touchdown passes over their first 115 games so cousins was seen as a bit of a throwaway draft pick by washington in the fourth round the year they took robert griffin the third but it's pretty obvious to see which one has had the better career so you got a couple of really prolific quarterbacks, a lot of really good receivers and running backs, especially Dalvin Cook out of the backfield. He's had a, a few injuries that have slowed him down. Matter of fact, um, Ezekiel Elliott has too. But this should be a really, really fun game going up and down the field. 
You won't have Roger Staubach to throw the Hail Mary. You won't have Tony Dorsett running 99 and a half yards, but it still should be a really, really fun watch. And I just think Dallas, with its more consistent offense and a, a much improved defense, and of course it couldn't have gotten any worse, but it's much improved now. So that's why I have Dallas winning this one. But uh, another fun game on what should be a much better slate this Sunday than we had last. Yeah, again, as I said, if you're a football fan, this is a game to watch. Uh, a lot of talent on the field, obviously, you see that in every NFL game, but a lot of intrigue and a lot of um, a lot of interest, not only, as you say, in terms of the two teams per se, but also in terms of how they stack up in their divisions and as they move toward uh, clearly the second half of the season coming up soon and the playoffs. Joe, this is your time to make your final comments. You always have something important on your mind. What's on your mind this week? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, last, last Sunday, when we talked about it right here, uh, that, that slate of games didn't really impress us much, and there was a reason for that, because the average margin in last week's games was 20 points. 20 points. It's a good thing there were only 13 games on the schedule with six teams on a bye, because uh, there was a lot of uh, uninspiring, drama-free football last week, as the folks in Baltimore can attest and the folks in Houston can attest, because the Texans are simply getting their brains beat in every week and they're playing Arizona coming up too. So that's not going to be good tidings for them. But I think with all these divisional matchups that I went over in a few other games, we're going to have a, a bit more drama, a bit more entertaining football on this week's card. Uh, I don't think we'll see an average margin of 20 points this week. And, and as we move through the season, I mean that that penthouse to outhouse bit I was talking about, it's going to hold true for the rest of the year. Not only since 1990, four new teams in the playoffs every year since 1990 we've had at least four new teams in of course four teams dropping out and in 16 of the last 17 years you've had two teams win their divisions that did not even make the playoffs the year before and right now if uh, las vegas and dallas hold up their end of the bargain that stat will continue so uh it's a bit of a roller coaster ride this league some things are inspiring some things not so much but in a league with a lot of players a lot of moving parts a a lot of permutations. Well, that's just life in the NFL, Frank. Thanks, Joe. Let's close things out with a review of your five picks. First pick, big game in the AFC North, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. You have the Steelers winning 23-16. to Second game that you pick, Tennessee, Indianapolis. You have the Titans over the Colts, 27-17. to Third game, Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins. You have the Bills, 33, the Dolphins, 19. Fourth game, Tampa Bay, New Orleans. You have Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers, by 14, 34 to 20. And finally, the Sunday night game, you have the Dallas Cowboys beating the Minnesota Vikings by two touchdowns, 31 to 17. Thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, we'll be back next Thursday. Uh, Joey will make his pick, look back at how we did in week eight. And between now and then, remember, as always, be good sports. Take care, everyone. A tug of war, 22 nameless men grappling in the mud. They called it pro football.